Our guest this morning is Jonathan McIntosh. So let us get started. Here is Rebellious Pixels, So You Think You Can Be President on KUCI's Justice or Just Us. For the very first time, we've come to the nation's capital. Cue music. President. Right now, we welcome Senators Obama and McCain. Please welcome your host, Kat Dealey. Hello and welcome to the show. The pressure is on the contestants right now. It's enormous. They know they've got it all to do tonight if they want to win your votes. They also know that their performances are going to be critiqued by our <laughs> panel of experts. Ladies and gentlemen, with a very difficult job tonight, please welcome your... Executive producer, Mr. Nigel Lithgow. <laughs> now, without further ado, let's get down to the real business of the evening. First answers to you, Senator Obama. The priorities that you would bring as president. We are going to invest in issues like education. We are going to invest in issues that, that relate to how ordinary people uh, are able to live out their dreams. And that is something that I'm going to be committed to as president of the United States. Let's go over to Mary. Mary? What do you think? Yeah, when people talk about somebody that, that has it, you're that person. I've never seen the likes of you. I don't think America has seen the likes of you. I am a big fan of you, and I've been pushing for you this whole time because I just, there's something about you that I really, really like a lot. Okay. Nigel, it's over to you. Very difficult to um, critique you, to be frank, because without question you are inspirational to a lot of people having said all of that i will now say there was a bit of a fake performance in certain areas I looked at the camera and it felt phony it didn't feel real that was it that's a minor detail but overall good and tonight i'm very glad phew that i'm not a judge let's talk about energy and climate control aren't you both ignoring reality and i believe the first question mm -hmm. goes to you senator mccain we have to have wind, tide, solar, natural gas, flex fuel cars and all that. But we also have to have offshore drilling and we also have to have nuclear power. Nuclear power is safe and it's clean. Or something like that. Look, clean coal technology. All of these things. We've got to drill offshore, my friends, and we've got to do it now. I might need my asthma pump. <laughs> yeah. I might need that. I love that. Do you have a major difference with what he just said? No, actually, I think Senator McCain and I uh, agree for the most part on uh, these issues. And that means, yes, increasing domestic production and offshore drilling. Ah. And yes, nuclear energy. Clean coal. I don't need to do any more than this. Yeah. No, no, no. That's enough. Mia. I get what you're saying. I get it. But there's other ways of... We're going to have to develop. I support clean coal technology. And clean coal tech... Somebody gave you some wrong information. I think that you may have been conned. Yes. <laughs> you know, I've got a plan. And stop this nonsense, because this is nonsense, believing that. 
Well, everybody said it. You, you let me down, though. Oof. Okay, so, so what happens now? We're going to shift gears here a little bit, and we're going to go to foreign policy and international right. matters. What do you see as the lessons of Iraq? We went into Baghdad, and everybody celebrated. We came up with a great general and a strategy that has succeeded. And we are winning in Iraq. The surge succeeded beyond... Thank you. I'm speechless. I, I'm really literally... I feel like we're being punked right now yeah. or something. Ashton, what is yeah. Ashton? Uh, we are winning in Iraq. And we will come home with victory. Yeah, let's have a reality and, no, I, check. Look, we are winning in Iraq. You are delusional. I feel like... Uh, I feel like you're putting me on. I feel like you're putting them on. I feel like you wasted everybody's time. And you're looking there like I'm the crazy one. And that scares me. The lessons of Iraq, Senator Obama. Uh, I stood up and opposed this war at a time when... <laughs> Mayhem in the studio. At a time when it was politically risky to do so. Because I said that... Not only did we not know how much it was going to cost, but also because we hadn't finished the job in Afghanistan. We took our eye off the ball. So I would send two to three additional brigades uh, to Afghanistan. We need more troops there. And I think that we have to do it as quickly we as possible. can't say anymore. Oh, come on now. Come on. Why? <laughs> because the place where we have to deal with these folks is going to be in Afghanistan um, and in Pakistan. I, wow, I'm, I'm just a little bit shocked. We need more troops there. Oh, we need I, more resources I just disagree there. with that whole concept. Uh, it didn't work at we all. We should never hesitate to use military force, and I will not... I don't think you're listening. Uh, I was uh, doing this to you. I was trying to tell you, Josh, shut up. Bring it down. You're yeah. just trying to keep up with John. Uh, oh. um, you're on... This is a, rea a realistic television show, and, and you can't get upset just because we turn the heat up in the kitchen just to tie, just to smidge it. It's just constructive criticism. It's just constructive. Everything we say to you is to make you better. Wise mm -hmm. words. <laughs> okay, back to the show. Senator McCain, you get the last word. Senator Obama had the opening. We've got a lot of work to do in Afghanistan. There have been 20,000 additional troops, and then there needs to be more. And so the point is that we will prevail in Afghanistan. America is the greatest force for good in the history of the world. My friends, we are peacemakers, and we're peacekeepers. <laughs> <laughs> what planet are you on? I'm, like, waiting for you to unzip your skin and, like, yes. come out like, like an yeah. alien or something because like, you're not human. You're, you're really, I, I swear, I'm just waiting for you to unzip your out outerwear. <laughs> Before we end the show, let's go over to our judges. Some tough choices to make tonight. Nigel, is there anything that you'd like to say to these guys? Sure, yeah, absolutely. So we were disappointed with the pair of you. Everything you did appeared to be a trick, but we have to choose one of you to remain in the competition. You have to realize America is telling you something here. You've got to find it. Otherwise, next week, it's going to be your turn to go home. Mary, it's the first time that you guys aren't in control. Is that 
kind of nice in a weird way? Kind of mixed, isn't it? You know, I feel uh, uh, scared right now that uh, America might get it wrong. So, think very, very carefully before you vote. Judges, thank you very much indeed, guys. Most of all, thanks to you at home for watching. I'm Kat Dealey. Good night. We got the message. That is quite brilliant. So uh, that gives you a sense of Rebellious Pixels and the kind of work that he does. Now let us have our good friend, or maybe not, uh, Glenn Beck, introduce for us. Uh, our guest will be joining us in just about four minutes. Um, Donald Duck meets Glenn Beck. Now this took some time, some talent, and some money. Cool. It's I'm what, never, eight minutes? It is, yeah. It is, it is some of the best well-made propaganda I have ever seen. Um, but I just, wanna, I just, I just want to show you what was on his website. Hi, my name is Jonathan McIntosh. I'm a pop culture hacker, video remix artist, photographer, and new media teacher, consultant, and fair use activist. I also have worked on numerous media and social justice-related projects in the United States and around the world. Mm. In my spare time, I help co-edit the blog Political Remix Video, and I am a member of the Open Video Alliance. Political Remix Video, my video uh, work remixes and transforms fa uh, fragments of mass media pop culture to tell alternative political, social, and cultural narratives. Basically, I'm a pop culture hacker, but instead of a computer code, I hack television. My political remixes appear online and also in film festivals and on community TV stations and new media conferences globally. Last year, I was a consultant for Remix America Online Project. Last summer, I also co-taught a two-week intensive workshop called the Fair Use Remix Institute with Chicago youth. Using Remix video as a media literacy tool. If I'm not mistaken, um, some of these Remix uh, videos, um, it's very interesting, I believe get federal funding. I believe it was one, one of these things that he's involved in was one of the first to receive federal funding to help culture understand culture. We're looking into the funding of this gentleman and the incredible propaganda against me like you've never seen using Disney and Disney cartoons. Of course, it's all fair use. So they can use Disney, apparently. Disney doesn't have a problem with, um, with Donald Duck cartoons now being remixed. Politicized. And politicized for the um, progressive left. 
I know a lot about Walt Disney. I know how much he hated the union bosses because he thought they were communists. Um, I know how much Disney hated the enemies of this country and the Constitution, namely the communists, the socialists, the union organizers, dare I say it, the progressives. But apparently they don't have a problem with this. I guess it's all fair use. And we'll find out if it's been federally funded, you know, as part of the stimulus package. Or one of those NEA packages that the White House is simultaneously involved in and not involved in. Yet another unbelievable attack. It's okay because the truth shall set you free. And as we found on 828 and then 10 to 10, there's no reason to sweat the small stuff. There's no reason. All you have to do is tell the truth. These people will destroy themselves in the end. They will destroy themselves. If I may quote Gandhi. I can't do it. I, I could paraphrase Gandhi. But there have been periods of time where there have been totalitarian rulers. There have been people that have taken control. And they have looked invincible. They have looked so strong. But they always fail. And peace and love and the truth always win. You stop with the music then? There more? And no humming. There more? Mm. Well, that's um. it. Now Sarah can hum. He just endorsed it. Sarah. You guys hum for a while. I'm going to have a sandwich after I tell you about LifeLock. Oh. And uh, there is Glenn Beck introducing our guest this morning, Jonathan uh, McIntosh, who uh, joins us this morning. Good morning, Jonathan. Good morning. Uh, thanks so much for joining us, and uh, lucky you to get so much attention from uh, from Glenn Beck. <laughs> How did you respond when you when you found out that that he actually um, that you were on his radar? That must have been quite uh, quite interesting for you. Right. Well, I I sort of didn't believe it. You know, someone said, "Oh, you know, uh, Glenn Beck devoted ten minutes of his." Uh, daily tirade to you and uh, you know your um, your remix video, and I didn't believe him. You know, I said, you know, stop messing with me. And then they showed me the clip, and uh, and it was true. And I, I was just kind of I was floored. But I, you know, I guess he has five hours of TV and radio to fill every day, so uh, he had uh, he, he has ample time. Well, uh, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Uh, you operate under the name of Rebellious Pixels, and uh, we just gave listeners uh, a sample, uh, a radio sample of um, of the kind of work that you do, though we encourage them to check out the website so they could see some of the clips that don't necessarily translate to radio where you kind of need the visual. But uh, an obvious question before we get to the interview proper, how many hours of So You Think You Could Dance did you actually have to comb through and watch in order to uh, put together that brilliant, uh, seamless mashup of um, the presidential debates and the, uh, the Fox dance, whatever we want to call that? Um, well, so one thing to, to, to know right off the bat is that I actually really enjoy that show. Uh, 
So You Think You Can Dance, I think, is one of the few reality shows that, um, that I can stomach. And I actually really enjoy it. So I, you know, I watch well, then it I, I apologize uh, if I prejudge. <laughs> Um, now, Dancing with the Stars is a whole different story, yes. and I won't watch it. Uh, but, uh, you know, and I, so I, well, what I like about it is that, they're, you know, the, it's often very constructive criticism. You know, they're, they're not, like, trying to make someone cry or something. They're actually trying to make them better dancers, and so it, it, it does feel um, more sincere in that way. And so it, that sincerity, you know, I thought would be interesting coupled with the, um, with the, the insincerity of the, of the presidential debate. Um, uh, and, and, and also could have bring to mind this whole media circus around the, around the, the election that I thought would fit really well in a reality TV show. Um, but anyway, so, you know, I watched, uh, I, I was sort of watching the, the show as it aired anyway, but um, I, I combed through um, two seasons, so third and fourth season for, for that, um, which is, about, I think they're like 26 episodes each, and so... Um, that was, you know, that's that's a, a full day of, of, of TV or more, actually, I think 36 hours per season. Um, and just sort of looking for reaction shots, you know, looking for anything where the judges could be saying something, right? They're not talking about dance and dance competitions and, and, and you know, waltzes and, and, and so on. But um, I was trying to look for anything that could be sort of taken out of context and figure out how they could be, like, ad- addressing these candidates and maybe getting the candidates to say things that, or address things that they were not being, you know, um, uh, were questions they were not being asked. You know, certainly the media did not hold the two candidates' feet to the fire on it, pretty much anything. Um, and so I wanted to see what that would look like, you know. And it it it, it plays so well. It's it's really just, um, you know, I, I also like the, um, you know, when you take the debates and put it in a new context, which of course your video does, it really shows, you know, the level of critique um, that that we have when, when it comes to politics. You know, um, who won the debate? It's not about, you know, were ideas presented in a clear and concise fashion, or did they talk about the things that really matter? It's not about what's best for the country. It's, it's you know, the same way that Hillary Clinton, you know, regardless of what we thought of her candidacy, was, was more likely critiqued for what she wore rather than for what she said, or whether she cried in New Hampshire rather than, you know, what her policy positions are. It, it really does bring to light the ridiculousness of these debates because they really don't provide any substance and um, there's that little clip where uh, I guess Nigel is, is the the executive producer and the you know I guess the Simon Cowell of the of the judges if you will and he really right. says you know there's no substance here and of course he's talking right. about a dance but uh, you know it's it's a really great juxtaposition I think plus more more uh, Americans voted for American Idol I think in one of the elections than they did in uh, than they did in one of the elections so right. it's an interesting right. and you know and 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 certainly you know in the defense of, of of the American voters there's probably a better choice to be made on that reality TV show than there is in the in the actual elections you know you probably feel like your vote counts for something more on that TV show right, right. than it does in the system which is I think a, a Right. Well, let's get to uh, let's get to the heart of rebellious pixels, and, and let's begin with some background. Um, how did you become rebellious pixels? When did you create your first remix video? What was the impetus? How did you decide this is what you're going to do? Um, good question. You know, I I, I was 
watching the lead up to the War in Iraq, so in 2002, leading into 2003, and uh, I sort of in shocked disbelief, you know, not not believing that this was actually happening. Um, and uh, and sort of as the war began in March 2003, um, you know, I, I was just sort of sitting watching it with my with you know the, all the TV broadcasts with my my friends and family. And as I often did, I just sort of recorded it. You know, I just sort of you know put the, the tape in and hit record and just let it go, um, not really having a plan for what to do with it, but just thinking, you know, this is this is a horrible moment. Um, in, in world history and, uh, and certainly in the history of the United States um, and obviously Iraq. And so just recording it, you know. And then um, I had all this footage, and, and you know, as, as the war goes on, they start to throw the commercials back in. In the first few days, they kind of say, oh, this is too important for commercials, right? They pretend that, that it's too important and that it's not commercial, but actually it is. And, and so, and they put them back in, and, and sort of like, you know, it brings the just this, this horrible juxtaposition to the forefront, right? You've got, you know, commercials for toothpaste and commercials for... Um, diet pills and commercials for McDonald's and commercials for, you know, new SUVs, and then they talk about, you know, how many people have died and which cities we bombed and which things are on fire and how many people, you know, have been have been blown away, and, um, you know, with very few pictures. And so, in my mind, those two things, you know, the, 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 the advertisements for all these products um, and the and the war sort of, and the footage of the war and the talking about the war in these really horrible and sort of disingenuous ways, um, that was sort of lacking in humanity, kind of mixed in this, in this you know, dystopian juxtaposition <laughs> uh, uh, in my mind. And so I just started laying those clips down and putting the commercials with the news footage and mixing it up, you know, because I figured it was already sort of, you know, these, these massive corporations who are report, reporting, in quotes, on the, you know, oftentimes, you know, on the bombs that their company may have helped make, you know, who, you know, who owns the, broad, the broadcaster. And so, you know, it, it, it all kind of meshed together in my mind. I started making these, these short ads, and, and those, those ads are maybe, you know, 30 seconds long. Um, and so I made a few for a few new ads for the U.S. Army that were maybe a little bit more truthful about what ha- might happen to you and what you might be asked to do um, when you join the military. And then um, a, a few for, uh, for Fox News, my favorite channel, and, um, you know, just sort of what I, what I called identity correction. Um, and, and they were very dark. Uh, I, was, I was obviously very angry about the war, so they were very sort of came from a very sort of dark place. And they also had this sort of twisted humor on top of that, because it really I, I felt like the way the media presented that war was so absurd, um, and so I was just sort of bringing that absurdity to to the forefront. And this was before YouTube, so this is 2003. So I just made little tiny little tiny videos, that are about as big as my you know my finger, and put them on my website, and um, and just sort of left them there, and and and, and they kind of went. Now, did you work in the medium of um, video or web-based graphics at this time, or was this something that was self-taught? Um, I, you know, I've always sort of been self-taught. I was, I was homeschooled as a kid. Um, I went to a, 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 a college for a few years that was that was had no grades or, you know, had had no um, had no attendance records or anything. So it was all very sort of self-directed and. And um, so I've always sort of been both through high school and and, and also in that those few college years. I you know I would play around with the technology, just go into the lab and just sort of play and see what would happen. So I'd made a few very small videos, you know, um, uh, never a remix. And I and I had um, you know I, I I did a summer internship at a, a company that actually made commercials for like Coca Cola and stuff. Um, 
and you know, most of it swept the floor and got got cookies and coffee for people. But um, I did learn some of it, and um, so I sort of had had a lot of experience. I had made collages and I'd done painting and done all this, you know, this, this stuff in, in high school, and so it just sort of all sort of culminated in, in that. In that, and really, I just sort of wanted something. I had something, something to say, and I was I was so I was faced with this with this media barrage, and I thought, well. Why not just use the barrage that I'm being, you know, that's being directed at me, and 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 mix it up and then send it back, you know, um, of using the media to um, talk back to the media. I want to want to remind listeners they're in tune to KUCI in Irvine. This is Justice or Justice. We're speaking with Jonathan McIntosh, aka Rebellious Pixels, about his work as a uh, pop culture hacker, and we'll get into uh, the meaning of that in a minute. But you know, your your description about the lead up to the war and the juxtaposition, um, you know, of of footage uh, of of the war and then advertisements. Um, really resonates with me. I mean, first of all, of course, there was the whole big debate about, um, you know, how General Motors would would advertise the Hummer in magazines like Newsweek and U.S. News and World Report and so forth, where they've got this war machine that they're marketing to suburbanites, you know, um, on the opposite page of images of Hummers in in Iraq and Afghanistan. I remember there was that whole big issue. Um, But I, I also remember... You know, things, uh, you know, as you were talking about before, for me, I remember after 9-11, and I was living uh, in the the, the tri-state area at the time, so actually saw it firsthand, you know, we were all standing outside, Um, you know, the big debate after 9-11 was... uh, you know uh, what's going to happen to to the football season? Should the football season continue? And I remember um, with the Academy Awards, the Academy Awards in two thousand three came about at the time of the uh, you know the March nineteenth uh, launch of the war. And of course, we all remember Michael Moore's speech. But the debate before that was what what should we do with the Academy Awards? And I think a lot of us who were watching in horror what was happening with our country felt these kinds of juxtapositions where it's like, you know, our entire country is more concerned about what's going to happen to the Academy Awards than than what we're doing abroad. And of course, this whole idea of you have to win, you have to have competition, you know, same with football. I guess a lot of us in our minds, this isn't to take away from your creativity, but... Um, how great that you recognize these these crazy juxtapositions and and actually did something creative with it. I don't know if any of that right. made sense. Yes, no, it did. Oh, and also because I was also in um, I was in Jersey City on nine eleven actually, and so I I was in Newark. Watched. So there you go. Yeah, we could watch yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, I was right on the water. I watched people coming over in the boats, you know, all covered in in, uh, in 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 dust, and that was really my political awakening. I think, but. Any case, you know, it, it, um, when we talk about media, right? It's, it's a very powerful thing, and um, more and more people are um, seeing media as a tool, right? Um, especially in terms of like, you know, here, here's all the stuff that's being presented to us, right? It's being presented to us in a very specific way, uh, often with a very specific and narrow set of values, right? Um, and you talked about a little bit uh, some some of those. Um, and, and a set of social norms, right? But when when many of us see that or get that, and it's presented to us, um, we can say, you know what? 
this doesn't represent what it is that I'm feeling or what, where I come from or my reality, and therefore I'm going to take those images and I'm going to you know, rewrite it, and I'm going to make something else. I'm, not, I'm going to add myself into, into, into this narrative. I'm going to change the narrative, right? Um, and many people do that, like you're saying, in their head, right? So they'll watch a movie and they'll go, well, this movie actually doesn't have any dominion. It's that are not stereotypical. So I'm going to make one up, or I'm going to, I'm going to in my mind, change the gender of the, of the lead character, right? Um, or I'm going to make them queer. Uh, or I'm going to make them a person of color, or, or whatever it is, right? That That's missing in that thing that's presented to us by Hollywood. And so I feel like people do that in their minds already and have been, like, writing fan fiction and have been, you know, creating alternative um, versions of many of these stories for a long time. Mm-hmm. And now the technology exists where um, those who have access to it can actually take the physical media itself, right? And can, can, can say, well, you know, what's, what's missing is the relationship between Kirk and Spock, because that, that is sort of that kind of thing, or, or like you know, queer relationships in in a science fiction universe don't exist, you know, in terms of a lot of the TV and movies. So we're going to put that in. We're, so we're going to take the actual footage, the actual characters, and cut it so that it exists now. Right? Um, and so you know, I, I, I do think that, that is happening, and people, more and more people are seeing it as like, oh, this finished media, you know, media production, whether it's television or movies or whatever, is the starting place for its sort of creative life, right? Um, for its the way that it exists, and so people can take it and say, okay, this is this is this, this is the source footage, you know, for my story that I, that I want to tell. That's that's different than this one. So. We on uh, Justice or Justice, we've uh, we've had the Billboard Liberation Front on before. We've had uh, some of the editors of Adbusters. Um, how is pop culture hackerism, or, or how is a pop culture hacker similar and or different from um, things like Billboard Liberation, culture jamming, and the like? Right. Well, I mean, I, I do think that culture jamming and, and media jamming, uh, which is sort of part of that. Uh, is, is part of a tradition, um, a tradition of people who are taking media, whether that be television, movies, or billboards, um, and they are changing it in some way, right? Intervening in that process, um, and so you know, uh, I sort of trace media jamming uh, and culture jamming as part of that, um, as part of the tradition. Um, I, I think that what's a little bit I won't say it's necessarily different, but I'll just explain what it is that I see as pop culture hacking. Um, in that, you know, we, we, we think of hackers, right? We think of computer hackers, technology hackers, um, um, people who hack computer code. Um, and what's really happening there is that people are at the essence, right? The sort of hacker approach to that is to see something and to take it apart, uh, to see how it works, um, to sort of see what it's meant to do, and then try to figure out what it can do, what it's possible to do with it, right? Um, so often that's to make it better or to um, to rearrange it in some way to make it different, right? Um, but it, it really essentially is about trying to figure out how this thing works. You know, what um, you know, I'm 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 given this this technology, this 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 box, and Apple says that it can do these three things. But if I get into it and I take it apart and I hack it, I, can, I find out that it has actually a hundred different uses. Um, and maybe Apple Computer or Microsoft is trying to keep me from doing all of the, like, you know, all the things that, that can be done with this technology. Um, 
And sort of in the same way, when you hack media, the way that I, that I see it is that you're trying to figure out how it works. You know, what are the stories embedded in this media? What are the myths um, underlining, you know, uh, the story? What are the values that are being promoted? Um, what are the sort of social norms? What are the stereotypes? Uh, and try to break those apart and see how those stories are constructed. And then to put them back together in a, in a, in a, in a different way with maybe different values or with alternative versions of those stories um, with different myths, right? Um, to either comment on or critique, right? Um, but it isn't all about criticism, right? I mean, I think that that's, that's sort of a slight difference between the, the, a lot of the culture jammer stuff, is that I'm not saying that all television is bad, right? Um, it's, what, what I'm saying is that, you know, stories are a really important part of the way we understand the world and the way we understand each other and the way we understand the relationships between each other and institutions and so on. That's and so, Go ahead. Uh, yeah, and, and so that, that because we understand the world through stories, um, many of the stories that we are, you know, that, that make up our world right now are stories that are controlled by Hollywood or stories that are controlled by the television industry right, or the news industry. Um, and so it's just sort of like to, to, look, to look, look, look at those, try to find what the values are and try to see if we can change them or if there are positive things to bring those out, right, or if there are negative things to highlight those. Um, and so that's, that's kind of the way that I describe it. It's about breaking the media apart, finding out how it works, and putting it back together differently. That's a really great uh, distinction between you know, things like Billboard Liberation and, for listeners unfamiliar, Billboard, Billboard Liberation Front's a group of uh, activists in the Bay Area that will, in the stealth of night, uh, kind of change some of the lettering around. And they do it so artistically and so... so um, Perfectly, you know, they make a facsimile of, of billboards and change the, the wording around so it, it makes a very different statement, and that's the same with culture jamming. But that's a, a neat uh, description of, of pop culture hacking. And I also like your comment about, um, you know, not all television is bad, so my apologies to those who like So You Think You Could Dance. I, I guarantee you, uh, way back when, Fox had a reality show, Paradise Island, where you had to hook up oh, or no. check out. And, uh, <laughs> And I am, I am sorry to say I actually watch that thing every week. But, um, but uh, I mean, a lot of my students are surprised when they find out that I'm kind of a, a TV junkie. And, uh, you know, because they think, well, you're a professor. Why would you be watching all of this stuff? And, it, you know, I think it was Neil Postman who once said the best stuff on TV is junk. You know, it's when you take it... <laughs> too seriously and don't have that media criticism. But, um, but anyway, so the word hacker, though, um, suggests criminality. And, and I'm not saying that it is, of course, but we hear the word hacker and everybody, you know, gets all up in arms. And so it, it of, of course, opens up the whole idea of fair use. This is something that's very important to you. So discuss what fair use is and how you are a fair use activist. Right. Um, so fair use is a, an exception to copyright law. Um, uh, section 1107 of U.S. copyright law, if people want to look it up. Uh, and and uh, it basically says that, that there, are, there, are, um, there are exceptions to, uh, to strict copyright. Um, so, if, for instance, if I, if I made a, a television show, um, uh, the owner of that television show would copyright the show. And then you, you know, the rest of the world wouldn't be allowed to do certain things with it. 
Um, fair use says that if it's um, that that there are a set of exceptions uh, uh, exceptions for that, uh, and they say, well, yeah, it, this is owned by NBC or this is owned by Fox or this is owned by Disney. Um, but if you're using it for a, a variety of reasons in a variety of different ways, um, it can be okay to use it without the permission of the owner, right? And that's what allows remix culture to exist. It, incidentally, it also allows The Daily Show to exist, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, because they're taking clips from, 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 from various things. Um, and if they had to clear you know, each clip uh, with Fox News before they could make fun of it, right. obviously it wouldn't happen, right? Uh, and so one of the, you know... Um, it's sort of if it's critical, if it's um, for news reporting, if it's educational, right? There's a whole bunch of, of criteria. Um, most importantly, that it's transformative, right? That you're not just taking it and copying it and putting it up, but that you're actually transforming it into something new. Like that's one of the most important parts of the fair use doctrine. Um, and so, uh, what that allows for is it allows for cultural commentary. Um, it allows for criticism, uh, and often the criticism is of you know large and powerful organizations are large and powerful people. Uh, and um, so, you know, when I make anything, I always state that I, I believe this is a fair use um, because I'm certainly not going and, and, and asking Glenn Beck if I could use him uh, in, my, in my Donald Duck parody. And I certainly didn't ask Disney if I, could, if I could use Donald Duck to make fun of Glenn Beck, you know, because they both would have said no. Right. Um, but under fair use, I can do that, right, because I'm making commentaries about uh, and criticisms about um, Glenn Beck and, and his message and, and, and his themes, but I'm also making criticisms and commentaries about Donald Duck. Um, uh, in, in that particular video, um, Right Wing Radio Duck, you know, I, was, I brought Donald Duck into the 21st century and made him um, fall victim to the economic crisis and almost lose his house, right? And that's something that actually happened to him in one of his cartoons back in the 30s during the Great Depression. Um, and so I was sort of drawing parallels between the Great Depression and, and our current economic crisis. And so, you know, it's a commentary on Disney. Um, it's a criticism, a very, very strong criticism of Glenn Beck. Um, and that's what sort of makes it fair use, I believe. And now how did, um, j- just out of curiosity to interject, how did you discover that Donald Duck uh, cartoon? Was that just a, a favorite of yours from childhood? Or how did... Yeah, because yeah, it, it, I, uh, yeah I, I grew up in a... Um, in a very uh, conservative and, and Christian household. Uh, my dad was a military uh, guy. So I was a Christian, conservative, like fundamentalist military house. Um, uh, and and not only did we, sort of TV was banned and video games were banned up, up until at least I was like 12, um, but sort of the ideas of Glenn Beck, way before Glenn Beck, this is like in the, in the, in the early 80s, were sort of, you know, they, they they were sort of mo- they were sort of um, you know things that my 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 family believed, and we would talk about at church. And, you know, so I, he wasn't quite he's not quite as out there as 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 many people might might see him as. Um, Beck, you're you're saying Beck is not as out there as many people would. Right. Yeah. Right. It's, he's part of this fringe, and, and and one of the only things I was allowed to uh, media wise to engage with and watch was Disney. Um, that was allowed. Mm-hmm. You know, the Smurfs were banned, and He Man was banned, but. You know, uh, Disney was, was okay. Why were the, uh, so, why were the Smurfs banned? Is it because that whole it's communism kind of myth that went around? No, no, I, that, that was far too sophisticated. Uh, <laughs> uh, it was because my mom thought that that they were Gargamel was using real spells that right. would uh, you know um, somehow make me a Satanist. But um, uh, so you know, I, I was very familiar with Disney from uh, childhood. I mean, we would 
watch Disney Channel, um, and we would you know, sort of memorize all these cartoons because we just play them over and over again, and it's the only thing we're allowed to watch. So we sort of memorize them all, and 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 I, so I, that was sort of a big part of my childhood. And and looking back on it, I, you know, there's definitely some really horrible stuff in there, you know. Um, but there's also, especially in the early days, you know, in 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 the 30s, early early 40s, they were certainly trying to appeal to a sort of working every person demographic, and so um, there were a, a lot of class commentaries. You know, I mean, the uh, the, sh- the sheriff is the, is the bad guy. He's, he's kicking people out of their houses because they can't pay their rent. You know, and the, um, and the fat so cat literally to... is a fat cat. No, yeah, he's actually a cat. Yeah, right. Pete right. Is, is, is many people don't know that the character Pete is a cat. Right. Um, and, and, and he is a fat cat right. in, in many of the cartoons. Um, always plays sort of the villain. He plays the sheriff, and he plays the devil, and he, and he, and he, and he plays the, the rich guy who in, in these old cartoons was sort of the villain. So. Right. Um, it, it's, it's a great uh, juxtaposition. Were you surprised that it received so many hits on YouTube, and how did it go viral? <laughs> um, so, you know, I, I went to a conference called the Open Video Conference in New York City, um, which is a great conference. And uh, um, every year I sort of premiere one of my videos uh, for them. And um, so I showed it like on a, on, a, on a Saturday, I think. It was a Friday. And then, um, you know, the next day it was, uh, I got a call from, I think it was the Washington Post, and, uh, and they said, we want to talk to you about your little video. <laughs> and, I, and I, just in that tone, you know, and, and I, I checked the, the, the hits that morning, and I think that it was, you know, half a million or something wow. like that. It was crazy, and uh, and so, which was funny to me because that was, you know, comparable to what uh, Washington Post gets on the internet. Um, uh, but because you know I'm, I'm not a media organization, it was it was a little video, right? right. Uh, but you yeah, know, so it, it definitely hit a, a, a chord in the way that it sort of went viral. I mean, there's there's many ways, and it's kind of hard to track. But it was posted on on, a, on an influential blog called Boing Boing. Um, and then it was posted on Gawker, and then it was sort of picked up from there by uh, Roger Ebert, uh, who tweeted about it and who posted it on his blog and said, everyone should watch this right now before Disney finds it, hmm. uh, which was very helpful. Um, and then, you know... Um, Go Roger Ebert. So, <laughs> who would have right, thought? Right. No, he's, he's great. If you're, you should follow him on Twitter if you're on Twitter. Okay. Uh, and then, um, and then uh, let's see, then there was a New York Times little piece about it, and there was a piece about it in the Washington Post. Uh and then John Cusack saw it, you know, and, and, and he tweeted about it. And then, for some reason, Bill O'Reilly told all of his followers on Twitter to watch it, too. And I, I wasn't really sure why, why that happened. I'm still not sure what was going on there. Um, and then by Monday, you know, Glenn Beck was, was, was ranting and raving about it. So um, that's well, when the, the hate mail started. Well, so, um, yeah. I said I'd keep you a half hour, but if you have just a couple more minutes, we'll, yeah, yeah, uh, we'll wrap up. But uh, it really is a great, great video, and uh, I want to remind listeners they can check it out at rebelliouspixels.com. We're speaking with Jonathan McIntosh of Rebellious Pixels. Uh, I can't let you go without uh, giving you an opportunity to talk a bit about some of the, the gender uh, toy commercials that... Uh, that you do, I, I haven't quite figured figured out the whole interface, but uh, it really does seem that you really like to challenge um, gender roles in society. Tell our listeners a bit about the the commercials that you do. You actually have, I think, on your website, it's a a tool so people can take audio from boy 
commercials for toys target uh, marketed at boys and and juxtapose it with the audio from commercials for girls right. tell tell our listeners about that yep. and and vice versa um, it's called the gendered advertising remixer um, and it's a little, it's a very simple uh, web application um, where I have 20 ads directed at young boys on one side and 20 ads directed at young girls on the other side. I mean, they're, they're highly gendered, right? I mean, so you've got on the girl side, it's all pink and there's ponies and there's like, you know, little toy sets where you get to comb gerbils for. And on the other side, you've got uh, the, the toy, toys directed at the same age group, but young boys, and they're all sort of, everything is gunmetal gray and, you know, there's, it's all about fighting, killing, and shooting. Um, and, and occasionally building as well. And so very different value sets and very different, very stereotypical um, sort of gender roles that are being assigned, right, and from a very, very early age. And, um, and so what this application just allows you to do is just take one of them and drop them either into the audio or the video box and then drop one from the other side into the audio or the video box so that the, the video for, the, for G.I. Joe will play with the soundtrack for Barbie. Um, or... You know, um, the Polly Pocket video will play with the soundtrack from, um, you know, uh, some sort of, uh, you know, battleship the game. Uh, and so it, what happens is because all of these ads are so, they're so formulaic, you know. I mean, there's always a product shot at second 14, and there's always the kid going, yay, at, you know, at second 7. And, and so it, it, you know, the the ad and the, and, the, and the video, even though they're from different, sides of, 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 of the gender divide, uh, or so-called gender divide, you know, uh, it matches up perfectly. Um, and it suddenly becomes incredibly obvious what's happening. And the um, incredibly stereotypical and narrow gender roles that are, that are being uh, assigned by these toys and by these companies just become hilarious and, right? so and become obvious, whereas it's hard to see that if you can't take it apart. And so any of us going to that website could do that because I, I wasn't able to, to try it, is it but that's how it works you don't need it's just yeah. the, the okay the interface actually does it I think that that's that really goes to the heart of um, I guess my 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 final question is um, you know you talk about education remixing workshops education seems to be really part of your your mission or goal um, and uh, I guess, can you tell our listeners what really is your overall mission, and how does something like that that gender remix thing contribute to it? Well, I mean, I, I think that um, critical media literacy is very important. Um, and so, you know, I never tell people don't watch TV or don't go to the movies. I mean, unless it's like Transformers, and then just don't bother. Right. Exactly. Um, but, <laughs> Thank you. Know, you. Uh, this is horrible. Um, but but you know, if engage with media. Um, Watch it, enjoy it, but be critical of it. You know, that's sort of critical media literacy to, to sort of understand what these underlying messages are, to be able to see what's behind the images that are being directed at you, um, to be able to sort of like to, to gain that power over them, and, and not just sort of to be able to deconstruct them in your mind, but also to be able to actually take them, like take the media, take the video, take the sound, and take it apart. You know, that's actually very, I think, can be very empowering, um, and you know. Even by just watching a remix, right? Um, you, you know, I, I, in working with kids especially um, and and youth of, of of all ages, just the the process of watching something and then talking about it, you know, um, you you start to see well where where did that come from? Well, where did this clip come from? Well, you know, you start to deconstruct it in your mind. You start to see the little the, the pieces of 
you go, uh, and I found this over and over again, when you go back to watching TV at home, you know, Saturday morning cartoons or whatever, um, you're not seeing them in the same way because you're, you're, you're seeing them as, 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 as either possible, um, you know, bits of things that you could be creative with. So it becomes like a palette that you can then work from, even if you're just making something in your mind, you know. Um, or, it, you know, you start to see some of the messages that you'd seen in the remixes, right? So it's sort of, it, it, you know, just, just by watching remix and, and by making one especially, it helps you see media in a different way, right? It becomes something that you have some, some power over or some potential power over. Um, so you, you see it differently. You, you see it as a tool to, to create with, um, and hopefully that gives you a better sense of, 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 of media literacy. Um, and, I mean, obviously my videos, I try to make them funny, um, sort of make them entertaining, but I also try to make them uh, uh, about a certain message, right, to sort of pull out in sort of creative and storytelling ways um, things that might not be totally obvious, um, uh, and, and then to make that a little bit funny as well. So well, that's sort of my my way of, of engaging with, with, with Remix. It's great stuff, and we thank you for doing it. If there are others who want to try their hand at this, um, what would be the first step? Uh, well, you know, there's a, there's a few tools where you can just go online and you can sort of remix whatever that they, they give you. So you can go to the gender remixer and you can, you know, you just take the, you know, it's very limited. There's like 40, I think, 40 ads. So there's like 800 different combinations. And that can be sort of fun to play with. But um, if you go to politicalremixvideo.com, um, there's a whole list of tools um, that are all free, sort of video tools um, that you can start to play with. And you can start to like, you know, a, a, there are tools where you can like watch a video on YouTube and then download it to your computer, you know. And there's a tool that will change it into a different file format so you can put it into like iMovie or something. Um, and many of those tools, I think almost all of them on that website are free. Um, and you can start to just start to play with it. And I often say, you know, start with ads maybe, you know, um, because ads are really short and kind of abstract and you can maybe just like change the audio or something. Um, or movie trailers, because movie trailers are also really abstract. And so you can either like switch out the audio and record your own or you can, um, you know, put uh, different visuals on top of it uh, or different subtitles or whatever. And it can be sort of a very easy way um, and a very manageable way to make something that's 15 seconds or 30 seconds or something. So um, those are just a, a few quick suggestions. The website is rebelliouspixels.com. We've been speaking with Jonathan McIntosh, and uh, I want to thank you so much for joining us this morning on uh, KUCI's Justice or Justice. It's really great stuff. Thank you. Thank Thanks you. for having me. All right. Take care.